into today. We're going to be doing part two of uh, the uh, series on, um, on worship in spirit and truth. Um, from our series, What's on Your Mind for this year, as I've been answering your questions and, and uh, things that you're curious about in regard to uh, Scripture and the application of Scripture. Uh, and last week, we started this conversation. Uh, I think it's great. Everyone came back. That's awesome. It's usually a good sign. Um, so the passage that we looked at last week, just to kind of get things back on track, is John 4, 19 through 26. And this is Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. And this particular part, Jesus says, uh, or the woman says, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim that it is here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming indeed and is now here when true worshipers, such an important phrase, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. So the question that we started with last week was, what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? And I basically defined it as this, a consistent, continual emptying of yourself in service to God while directing people toward God. A continual, a consistent, continual emptying of yourself in service to God while directing people toward God. That's how I defined it last week. And that might seem very, very oversimplified, But as we saw last week, I hope you saw that, that it comes with a very significant cost to the believer. It sounds simple, but it is exceptionally personally expensive in every way. Now, unfortunately, we live in a time where the majority of people, and I I say that not lovingly, um, are under the impression that worship is music. You know, you have worship music and then you have praise music. And those are different. Worship music is soft and flowy. And praise music is that fast, thumpy stuff that kids like that are under 55. <laughs> you know, I was, as much as, as music can be worship, music itself, singing, playing, even lifting hands in church, By themselves, they're not worship. We make them worship. I've seen a lot of people over the years who would stand and lift their hands in church, eyes wide open. They're lifting their hands because the person next to them is lifting their hands. You want to see a funny skit? Tim Hawkins has a little skit online. He's a, he's a comedian. He talks about the different type of hand lifting in church. You know, I think the first one he starts is, my fish is this big. He calls them different things. You know, hold my baby. You know, uh, uh, you know, touchdown. There's all kinds of different ones on there. You should check it out. It's a lot of fun. It makes you stop and go, oh, no, do we really look that silly? Yes, yes, we do. And we do on purpose because it's okay. 
See, worship is not an action. What I've, what I've heard from people over the years, and, I, and you may have heard this a lot in, in, in church because I've heard it many, many times, is that when you come to Christ, you learn to do these things, and in the process of doing these things, God changes you. Anyone ever heard that? If you really want to learn how to worship, raise your hands, and if you raise your hands long enough, God will touch you in that process, and God will do something to your, to your heart in that process. And it sounds interesting, right? The problem is it's backwards. See, worship is not an action that leads to a changed heart. Worship is a changed heart that compels you to action. It is extremely important that those two things do not get mixed up. The action is important and the changed heart is important. But if the changed heart has not happened, all you're doing is mimicking somebody else. See, raising hands just because everybody else is raising hands is not worship. Raising hands because inside you're broken and you're just surrendering. Because that's what, that's what raised hands means. It means I, I, I give up. I'm done fighting. I'm yours. I am a captive, literally. That's different. And you can see it in the lives of other people. Think about the number of religious groups around the world that try to define what a life of worship is. A life of worship is when someone does this. And it's usually more a life of worship is when someone doesn't do this. And they start giving you a list of all the things you, don't, you can't do. And then they tell you all the things that you can do. And what they do is they focus on a set of controls. A set of controls to limit your activity and what you can do and what you, sh- what you could do and what you, what you shouldn't do in terms of worship. It becomes a form of religious legalism. If you're really, have you ever heard this? If you're really a Christian, you'd do this. If you really love Jesus, you would do this. Well, if that person really loved Jesus, they wouldn't say things like that. Because they would know it's Jesus' job to change me, not them. John Barone used to say this, uh, this uh, had this, this saying I thought was fantastic. You catch him, he cleans him. We make big mistakes when we think we can clean them. Now that you're here, God has decided that I shall disciple you. I will shape your life into a firm, phenomenal Christian. All you have to do is everything I say. Really? <laughs> no. No. We let God clean him. Our job is to teach him God's word. Ever been in a situation like this where, ladies, you're told how to dress? Now, obviously, you've read that part in the Bible where um, thou shalt wear only denim dresses that drag to the ground. For heaven's sake, ladies, show not thine ankles to men. Because you know we can't resist ourselves when the ankles come out. Really? Now, if you want to dress like that, go ahead. But I got to tell you, Jesus doesn't care. See, a person with a changed heart would know how to dress. They would know how to comport themselves in public. But an unregenerate person wouldn't. Men are told also how to dress. You might not believe this, but I hear this a lot. Men don't have long hair. I mean, some men don't have hair, but they're still... Men don't have long, I mean, except for like, you know, Jesus' disciples and every male up until like, you know, the 17th century. But after that, men did not have long hair. 
So men shouldn't have long hair. We went totally extreme in the other direction. <laughs> How many of you are told that, uh, you know, um, real Christians only drive certain cars? Real Christians only wear certain colors. If you don't wear bright colors, it draws attention to you. I've had these conversations, folks. You ever get told what you can and can't eat and drink? Now, like, everyone knows that Mountain Dew is actually the blood of demons. I mean, everyone knows that, right? <laughs> Red Bull is literally the mark of the beast. <laughs> and don't even get me started on Monster. Okay. What about snack food? <laughs> Sorry, I, every time I get a chance, I just bring it up because it's funny. Um, what about snack food? You know, you know, if you die with MSG in your body, you can't go to heaven? I would start cleansing now. It's important. <laughs> you shouldn't eat processed food. And if thou shalt take in a devil's food cake, snack cake, thou shalt not go to heaven. Because you, you've literally taken the devil into you. Do you see how dumb that is, right? We, we laugh at stuff like that because it's ridiculous, but at the same time, how about this? If you think you're a Christian and you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. You see, we laugh at the, at the other stuff because none of it is in the Bible. But when people bring up the other things... So you have to convince me that God has changed your life. Otherwise, God hasn't changed your life. It's not between you and God. It's between me, you and me, and the standards that I have placed on this earth. Because obviously, I'm the one that's in charge of who goes to heaven and who doesn't, right? Isn't that ridiculous? But so many people don't even bat an eye to that kind of stuff. And it's just as ridiculous. We are not the ones that get to tell God who is and who is not acceptable. But we continually allow ourselves to be made to believe that we need to follow whatever list of behaviors is placed in front of us. But that list of behaviors is not what makes you right with God. There is nothing that you can do that is going to make you right with God outside of accepting Christ and then following him. Nothing. There's nothing else that you do. If you think that you have the ability to make yourself right with God by your own actions, you're fooling yourself, and you're in for a big surprise when you stand before God. We are immeasurably incapable of atoning for the spiritual death that we are all victims of. I'm going to explain that to you here in a little bit. Check this out. Romans 3, 9 through 24 Reads like this. Listen to Paul. Paul is so joyous most of the time in his writings. Uplifting, wonderful, it's fantastic. He says, well, then should we conclude that the Jews are better than, than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talks are foul like the stench of an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. 
Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can be, ever be made right with God by doing uh, what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. How about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10? It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. There is no method No act of service, no amount of giving, or anything else that you can think of that makes you right in God's eyes, other than the gift of grace freely given to those who believe in the work of Christ on the cross, period. Period. And the frightening part is that we've been given a time frame for the acceptance of this grace, from the day you draw your first breath to the time you draw your last. When we draw our last breath, our ability to make that choice has ended. Look at Hebrews. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that, judgment. Now, there are some people who don't believe that. I actually heard a message that was sent to me by a prominent local minister where he actually stated at the end of his message that he believes that God will give people after they die a chance to hear the gospel and repent and believe in Christ. At that point, just erase the cross, just erase grace, erase the gospel mission, erase the church, erase everything because nothing we do matters. And nothing that Christ did would matter. God has all eternity to convince you of him. Seriously? No. See, there's a reason why our mission is so important. There's a reason why the gospel message is so urgent. There's a reason why Jesus keeps telling us, get off your butt and share the message. We've got a world to reach. And time is not on our side. But here's the cool thing that connects us to today. The message of salvation is not only the most important thing that we do as believers... It is the first step in understanding what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. In John 4, verse 21, when Jesus said, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. In simple terms, everything that you think you understand about worship is going to become obsolete. That's what he was he explained to her. Everything that you think you know about worship is going to become obsolete. 
So let me ask you this question. Did the type of worship that God was desiring for mankind change from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Did the worship that God was desiring from mankind change from creation to Christ? No. See, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is nothing about him that's different. Uh, I've, I've heard it said this way. It, nothing ever occurs to God. God's never walking around and going, ah, I had never thought of that. Everything that, God, that it, it could possibly be known is known to him. And what God desires from humanity has always been the same. So the only thing that has changed is us. We're the only thing that has changed. And the thing is, most of the time, we don't understand what that change is. We don't understand how it applies to us because we don't really understand the nature of sin and the fall and redemption. We think it's about making us good people. That is the, such a small piece of that. It is about restarting something, rebirthing something that was taken from us way back in the beginning. And I want to show you because Jesus shows us both sides of this. We're the ones that change. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. New life has begun. We are made new. We are, the, the theological term is called regenerate. Something new has been birthed inside of us. We are no longer who we used to be. We're something completely different. So when someone, when someone says, I've, come to, you know, I've, I've given myself to Christ, and nothing in their life changes, you know that they haven't. So you guys coming up to an altar after a church service, saying a prayer, and then getting up and going home and living your life like nothing else has changed, just now you're guilt-free. That is not a regenerate person. That is someone who has chosen to lie to themselves because they don't want the price tag that comes with heaven. It's important. We become something very different. When you meet someone who was not just at the bottom of the barrel of humanity, they were trying to dig through the bottom of the barrel into whatever's underneath it. Right? Anyone ever met anyone like that? Anyone ever been that person? <laughs> you know, some people hit the bottom, other people hit the bottom and skip, <laughs> or they start digging because that can't be the bottom, right? There's got to be more beneath this. You meet that person and they come to Christ and they are so different that their friends don't even want to hang out with them anymore. You usually hear this, what happened to you? I don't know. And, and could you imagine them explaining them? Well, the old person in me died. So you're a zombie now? <laughs> like this religious zombie? What's going on? No, I've been made new. Now I know who I am in Christ. See, before Christ, true worship, and Jesus testifies to this when he talks to the lady at the well, true worship was not possible for humanity. It was not physically possible. There was something missing. There was a piece of the puzzle that was gone that, um, that limited us to a system, to ritual, to religion. That's not true worship. When all you are limited to is a systematized view of what it means to try to bring glory to God, then there's nothing of you in it. 
That's not worship. The Jews had it. They had it down to a science. They called it the law. Other faiths also did the same thing. When you come, you worship this way. You start here. You lift your hands here. You put something in the plate here. You do this when we're done. You, 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 you kneel, you sit, you kneel, you sit, you kiss the person. Everything else is going on. That is not worship. That's a system. And that system doesn't please God. I think in a lot of ways, the system irritates God because we've fooled ourselves into thinking that that is what makes us right with God. There's nothing about worship inside that. When Christ hung on the cross to atone for the sin of all who believe, the doorway to true worship was kicked open. And now, something that none of us understood from the time of Adam to the time of Christ, no one got this. We finally understood what God was looking for from humanity the whole time. See, what God wants from us today is no different than what he wanted from Adam and Eve in the beginning. It's no different. But they broke us, <laughs> literally. And God made a way for us to come back to him. And I'm gonna, I want to show it to you. True worship is only available to the regenerate, those who have been made new. So the thing that separated us from God was sin. Sin took a price. It took something from the creation in the garden, took something from Adam and Eve that God had given them that connected them to God, that made it so that none of humanity could be reconnected to God. Jesus came to pay for that on the cross to remake that. I know that sounds overly spiritualized, but listen to this. This is John 3, 1 through 6. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with, the, with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, what? <laughs> Jesus, I didn't think you had a drinking problem. What was that? That's, that was the opening line? He says, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? That's gross, but here we go. Jesus said, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Now, what Jesus is saying here is actually very simple, that there is two parts to our existence. There was a part limited to this world, and there was a part that was designed for that world. And somehow, we lost the connection with that world. I'm going to show you exactly where it happened. Jesus is trying to explain to him, you need to have the spirit, the eternal spirit of the living God reborn in you. You need to be made new. You need to have a new life literally rebirthed in you. And only the Holy Spirit can do it. Check this out. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. In the creation story of man, when people say you don't need the Old Testament, I tell them they also, they, 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 when people say that from the pulpit, my first, in, first instinct is you shouldn't be preaching ever on anything. So listen to this. Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God 
placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, these are the words of God, you will surely die. You will surely die. Chapter 3 says, The serpent was the shrewdest of the wildest animals the Lord God had made. On the day, on, uh, One day he asked the woman, Did God really say? That is the same attack the enemy has been using on, the, on believers, on God's creation, from the beginning, beginning of time. Whenever we take the word of God and we open the word of God, someone asks us, Is that really what it means? Did God really say? Quite literally, the oldest trick in the book. To get us to doubt God. They heard the word of God from the lips of God. We have to read it off the page. Why? Because their choice separated us from the manifestation of God. We can't see God face to face. They could until that moment. Moving forward to verse 5, it says, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. See, the serpent said, did God really say? And then Eve answered, yes, actually, he did. And then he said, no, God is actually lying to you. He's trying to keep something wonderful from you. He wants to have all the power for himself because he knows that you are just like God. You are just like him. And if you would just push the boundaries, if you would go beyond his word, he's, see, he's, however you want to spell it to yourself, if he wants, he's just trying to test you. He's trying to see if you have, have desire, if you really want something. God is trying to get you to go beyond the limits of his word because he's keeping something for himself. The woman was convinced that God's word was a lie and her reasoning was the truth. So she took of the fruit, she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was standing right there the whole time. And he ate. What did God say would happen? You will die. God's pretty specific. You will die. Did they die? Yes, they did. The only thing that was left was the dirt they were made out of. But the eternal breath of God breathed into him. God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He breathed his own breath into the nostrils of man. Man became a living being. Different than any other life given on the planet. Everything else was just living dirt. We had the breath of God in us. We sinned, that died. We are now disconnected from God. We are unable to connect with God on a spiritual level. We are unable to connect with the Spirit of God because the literal Spirit of God that He gave us, we killed in sin. Do you get it? Do you see it? So when Jesus says, you must be born of water, which is a natural birth, 
And then you must be reborn of the spirit and only the Holy Spirit. Humans can give life to humans, but only the spirit can bring life to the spirit. So now the sin that was keeping that spirit in death has now been atoned for so that when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior and we, do every, we, we commit ourselves to following his word, the Holy Spirit comes into us, breathes life into that dead spirit, and we are reborn. Now we can do something we couldn't do before. We go beyond a systematized idea of religion and we can actually connect with the spirit of God one-on-one no matter where you are no matter what you're doing in every situation in every area of life no matter what your income level is no matter what your skill level is no matter what your education level is you can connect one-on-one with the spirit of God because the spirit has been made alive in you that door to spiritual worship worshiping in spirit is now wide open To all those who believe. That's the catch. That's where we mess up. That's where we. Think we have it and we don't. We want to come to a good church with good music. Because with good music I can worship. (laughs) News for you folks. I can worship in a dead church. You want to know why? Because there's believers gathered around. I spent a couple of months in Florida a few, uh, before I took over the church here, um, working with a friend down there, opening some restaurants, and they were, their family was Catholic. So we went to the Catholic church. My first thought was, this is going to be interesting, because it wasn't a tiny Catholic church. This was a Catholic church that had five meetings on a Sunday, okay? Because that, and it was a big church. There were probably five or 600 people in the, in the building in each service, This was a big church. And you know what? They sang the same songs we did. I thought that was pretty cool. The pastor did announcements with a sock puppet. I thought that was a little weird. But still, at the same time, it was kind of fun. In my mind, I'm going, do the message that way. But you know what? I was in a Catholic church, which most people would call a dead church. And there are people there. I'm watching them. I'm a people watcher. And you can tell the people who are worshiping and the people who are just singing. And there were people in that Catholic church worshiping. I don't know if they knew why, but they were worshiping. It was awesome. It was just awesome. We can worship in spirit because we can have the spirit. And that's the challenge for you. Do you have the spirit? I can't answer that question for you. Do you have the living spirit of God in you? And have you submitted to that spirit? Have you committed yourself to that process? Have you committed yourself to following that voice? Have you committed yourself to change? See, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, which means king, which means the one who gets to tell me what to do with my life, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be regenerate. You will be rebirthed. 
But if you're coming to find a system that hopefully one day will make you right with God, I promise you one thing, you will never get there. You will spend your life frustrated because the spiritual side of your life will never seem right. It will always be missing something. You'll look at what other people have and you'll want it and you won't understand how you get there. And you'll even have great excuses. I volunteer more than they do. I give more than they do. I read the Bible more than they do. I pray more than they do. I don't understand the connection that they have with God because it's not about any of those things. It's about having a living spirit inside of you that has connected you with God so that when you read the word of God, you're not actually just reading it yourself, but the Holy Spirit is actually reading it with you. Anyone ever been there and felt that? When you're praying, you're not just trying to get God to hear your voice. You're actually taking time to make sure that you can hear his. Prayer is not just about you talking. Most of the time, prayer is about you shutting up. You ever, heard this? you ever said this to yourself? I can't hear God in my prayer time. I can't hear God in my prayer time. I can't hear God in my prayer time. I can tell you exactly what God wants to tell you right now about not hearing him in your prayer time. Shut up! And learn to pray while listening. You understand what I'm saying? That is worship. See, when you have the regenerate spirit of God alive inside of you, anything that you do outside of sin, obviously, is worship. All of it. It might be singing or playing guitar. It might be playing piano. It might be doing anything. It might be straightening the chairs. Right? You're a little worshiper down here. It might be serving in kids' church. It might be maintaining a website. It might be praying with people outside of church. It might be bringing someone dinner. It can be anything. But when the heart is regenerate and God guides us and we listen, it's worship. The music is just fun. I mean, grand music is fun. This is one of the reasons why when people say no on, on the stage of on the church stage, only certain types of music are allowed. Why? I mean, I'm not looking at like rewriting cocaine into something like some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a, a friend of mine who rewrote Eric Clapton's song Cocaine as to get saved. Get saved. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna sing it to you, but see, some of you are making up lyrics right now. I can see it, you're lipping at me. I can't That's not what I'm talking about doing. (laughs) The the songs don't matter if the heart isn't changed. You, You can take out the timeless worshiping classics and you can sing them all day long. If you have an unregenerate heart, all you're doing is lipping somebody else's worship. You're not worshiping yourself. You're just hoping, hoping their worship might change you so that eventually you can worship. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. See, Jesus says you worship in spirit and in truth. What's the truth part? The truth part is actually really easy. I'm going to close with this. Listen to these. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the Truth will set you free. What, what is the truth that Jesus is talking about there? His teachings. His teachings. John 17, 17. Make them holy by your truth and teach them your word, which is truth. 
2 Timothy 2.15, work hard so that you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not uh, not need to be ashamed, who correctly explains the word of truth. So what is this mystery of worshiping in spirit and in truth? Here's the simple reality. You need the regenerate spirit of God born in you. You know why you need it? Because the word tells you you do. You see how the two have to go together? See, without the word of God, you have no clue, no clue what to do with your spiritual life. Without the word of God, we don't even know how to define sin. Without the word of God, we have no idea what atonement is. Without the word of God, all we're left with are good works that make sense to us. But you see, the word of God told us how we got lost. The word of God told us how we were going to get found. And then Jesus stepped out of eternity and did it for us. And then he stepped back and he said, anyone who wants to come through this door, by the way, I am the door. Come through the door. I'm the only way. There's no other way. All roads do not lead to heaven. There's only one and I'm it. You need to walk through this door while you're still living on this earth because after you leave this earth, the only thing waiting for you is judgment. And you're either guilty or not. That's the spirit. That's the truth. See, we know how to worship in truth because we know that worship is not just singing, is it? Worship is also how we live according to the teachings of God so that we can worship with a, we can live with the regenerate spirit of God inside of us and we know how to live according to his truth. We are literally living a life of worship in spirit and in truth. You see how easy those two things go together. Where before, what Jesus is telling to the woman at the well, you think that the system's going to save you. And everything about that system is flawed. And the whole purpose of the the system was to show you that it was flawed. I'm going to show you something different. I'm going to show you that real worship starts here and trickles out to the rest of the world. I wonder what would happen if we began to look at our life and our faith from that lens. Am I doing this hoping that it saves me or am I doing this because I'm saved? It's a powerful difference. A powerful difference. And too many of us we're stuck in some limbo piece there. We haven't quite figured this thing out. We haven't decided whether or not we want to just follow the teachings of the Bible because I want to be a good person. Well, that's great. There's a lot of good people who aren't going to heaven. But there are a lot of regenerate people who struggle with things on a regular basis who will. This is a difficult thing to think about. There may be someone sitting in the, in the seat next to you. They may sit there on a regular basis with a non-regenerate heart. They've never encountered the spirit of the living God. And there may be someone in your life who you know has never made a right decision. They just go from one failure to the next, but they refuse to give up on pursuing God. They might be regenerate. You might see them and not the other ones. There's an old saying, I I think it was from Charles Spurgeon, says three things that I will find amazing when I get to heaven. The people who are there who I never thought would be there people who I thought were there would be there who aren't and that I'm there. 
think that's an amazing thing. God is not after your activities. He's not after your wallet. He's not after any of that stuff. He's after your heart because he knows everything else will come after that. But the heart has to change first. You want to worship in ways that you never even imagined possible? Focus on that first. The activity is essentially meaningless without the living spirit of God guiding you in that process. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you don't just let us go. You don't just give us enough so that we can be content. That's very fitting. I don't know if any of the church bells ringtone. That's pretty cool. I feel that... No, never mind. Lord, we ask you to bless this day uh, and that you'd help change our minds and change our hearts in what we're doing, Lord. That you'd help us to know to chase the changed heart first and let the action come after. Give us the opportunity to desire to worship you in both spirit and in truth. We have your spirit because your word is true us to lean on that, to stay firm in that, and to not apologize to the world for that.